Hi, welcome to Tab's Two Cents, a show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Braden Dennis. Braden is the co-host of the Canadian Investor Podcast, and he is the founder of the platform Stratosphere. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, the show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Hey, Braden, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to set this up for a bit now, so I'm glad we can uh, take the time to sit down and chat. Yeah, no problem. And schedules are always busy. I know how it goes. I thought we could start just with a little introduction. What inspired you to start the Canadian Investor Podcast and your platform, Stratosphere? Sure. So I was doing a podcast 2017-ish, and Stratosphere was just a blog at this point. So I figured... It would be basically a blog and a podcast. That's what Stratosphere was. And the podcast basically had no one listening. I think my mom tuned in every few episodes and that was pretty much it. And the blog had some decent traffic. You know, I was like writing guides on how to do stuff like Norbert's Gambit for Canadians, writing kind of like brokerage reviews, you know, the stuff that most Canadian finance bloggers are writing about. And I was just doing it because... I usually learn by doing, I mean, if I don't like actually, if I take something and don't actually do something with it, it won't like stay in my brain. So that's uh, basically self-serving and then could help a few other people along the way. Now my co-host of the Canadian Investor Podcast, Simone, he hit me up because I think he was one of the very few listeners of that podcast, bless his soul. He's like, Hey, we should do, we should do a podcast together. And I'm like, I need a co-host. So let's do it. We met downtown Toronto. He's from Ottawa. Uh, we just hit it off. Been doing it ever since. And success of the podcast has been just our consistency. Like that's the number one recipe and consistency is literally everything. Like anyone who succeeded online, you'll notice that it's not an overnight success story. And while other people were missing weeks or taking a month off, that consistency really, really helps. So I think that that's basically how we got to where we are today with the podcast. Yeah, definitely. And I agree. And I think that I've talked to a few people. I had a online fitness coach on Aaron Atkin last week, and he, he was talking about how when he started, he just did it for free and you really need a passion for what you're doing, especially with like online stuff. So I know for me as well, with my podcast, I feel the same. I'm passionate about this kind of thing. So how do you feel that that sort of passion has transitioned into your work with the podcast and Stratosphere? Yeah, well, two things. So for the podcast, I mean, you gotta, your heart's gotta be in it or else you just, you know, your recording time comes around twice a week, like we do it and your heart just won't be there. You just won't want to do it. You'll skip it. You'll make excuses. If, If, you know, if I was talking about a topic that I frankly don't care about, then it would be, it would be so hard to pull it off. Like that consistency would fall apart. As for stratosphere, I'm an engineer by background. I actually went to the University of Guelph for environmental engineering. It was basically a chemical engineering degree. Then I worked in renewable power for, you know, the years after graduation. And the reason I built stratosphere was because I couldn't find anywhere to reliably find 10 year financial statements on an analytics terminal. Like I'm not getting a Bloomberg terminal in my living room for 25 grand a year. Like that's one, it's out of the, out of the scope cost wise to just impractical and, and overkill. And so I figured, okay, if I can, if I can pull together for every company, 
10 years of financials that I can look up, get some quick data visualizations like, okay, revenue is going up. We like it. Those kinds of things. Then I don't need to, you know, look at these sites online that are only giving me three years of data basically. So again, just built it for my own use, had it out on the, in the world, you know, for free as a, as a web application turned out people really liked it and would pay for it. So it's turned into a business and, and I've almost come around one year of working on it full time. I left my job in May of last year. So again, both things come from a passion. I think I know what I'm doing with financial markets, but I didn't do a traditional education route for it. And there's nothing wrong with doing a traditional education route for it. But if you do a traditional education route for it, to succeed, you still have to have passion in it, no matter what career you go into. Like, you know, I wasn't waking up in my engineering job, just ready, just ready to take on the day, you know, it didn't fire me up. And so um, if you find what you, what you like, it, it just becomes a lot easier to do it reliably, consistently and with some passion. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think with finance, it's one of those things that if you're not passionate about it, you probably won't put in the effort to research companies properly. And right. one of the reasons that I started this show was I wanted to sort of help people out and with their finances. And, you know, generally index funds are a good way to go for those people. But other people, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't have time to be a stock analyst, but they feel like they can dip their toes into individual stocks. They generally, I know, at least when I started, I used to hear, make sure you do your research, make sure you do your due diligence all of these things. And I think that Stratosphere is a good platform for that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the metrics you've added to that platform yeah. and how people might be able to use it to do a proper due diligence and what that might look like. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And I think you led off the, the, the start of the question in a good way, which is for most people, index funds are the best thing ever. I mean, if we take what traditionally has been fed to Canadians is two and a half percent mutual fund fees. By the way, Canadians have the second highest mutual fund fees in the entire world as of today, as of recording, but only behind like Belgium, I think S&P posted. It's really random, but like Canada for all intensive purposes have the highest mutual fund fees in the world. And so if we look at what's available out there, you know, you get index performance for a few basis points, like, you know, like 0.05%, whatever BlackRock and Vanguard are duking it out. You know, it's this kind of race to zero for them on those ETF uh, management expense ratios. Now, if you're like many people and you also want to pick stocks, you can do that in a hybrid approach with, okay, you have some ETFs and you have some stocks or you do what I do because I look at this stuff all day. I have a fully managed portfolio on my own. I manage it on my own of individual stocks, individual securities that I have high degree of confidence in that I'm going to hold them for a really long time. But to, to just take a step back, I agree. <laughs> Index funds is such a good option for people. It's insane. The ROI on time, it takes no time to manage it and you're going to get... Yeah, index performance, which is wonderful. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, for picking individual securities, you want to own great businesses. I am shocked the amount of people who do 
endless amount of research. Peter Lynch put it really well. They do endless amounts of research on which dishwasher to buy. They find out which one's the most reliable. Where can they get it at a good deal? This retailer has it for this price. This retailer has it for this price. I can expect this amount of hours. I'm looking at reviews. Oh, this dishwasher kills it. You know, the dishes are always clean. Uh, this one, not so good. You know, you've now like created this, this matrix of which dishwasher you want to buy. That same person will gamble thousands of dollars into some penny stock they heard of this morning. Some internet post told them to buy it. By the way, a lot of those are sponsored paid posts from uh, like PR agencies in the investor relations industry. Scummy business, really scummy business, but it exists. Be careful out there. And this is the kind of things that happen, right? It is people don't do their research or necessarily, or if they're doing their research, they don't know what to look at. And so we really have tried to create a platform that has the data for people to make decisions, but then also has like, okay, under revenue, like you click on it and it'll be like, okay, revenue is a bad example because everyone knows what sales is, but like EBITDA, okay. It'll say, okay, this is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Jargon. What does that actually mean? And it'll say below, basically, it's, it's a way to you know, add back some of these non-cash items like depreciation, amortization. And so we try to make it really easy for self-directed investors, but not gimmicky. Like that's, there's so much gimmicky crap out there. And so we've tried to take a very professional approach, but also not convolute and complex. What are really not that difficult of things to look at. Okay. Like I guess I went to school for engineering. That shit's hard, man. Like, and I was hard, like really hard. Finance is relatively simple, but difficult to manage your own behavioral biases. And so the, from a scientific perspective, finance is easy. Although a lot of people make it seem way more complicated than it needs to be. It's more about how you can manage your emotions. I, I posted a tweet that went like semi-viral yesterday. Apple stock, as an example, this is what my tweet was yesterday. Apple stock lost 50% of its value in 2002. It lost 50% of its value again in 2008. It lost 40% in 2013 or something. Another 30% drawdown, 2015, 2020, it had a 20% drawdown with the rest of the market with the COVID crash. Yet during that time, Joe, you made 395 times your money, like complete outlier cherry picked stat, like, you know, Apple being, you know, one of the greatest success stories in, in, in modern business history. But during that time, you had to hold it. While everyone thought, you know, in its story, left for dead, stupid business, unloved, iPhone is not sticky enough. Oh, it is sticky. Market loves it. Oh, but there's supply chain issues. It just never ends, Joe, and it never will end. That's the point. That's why you have to focus on the business fundamentals and not necessarily just some hot take that you see on the internet. And I, I'm seeing a lot of that lately. Yeah, I, I completely agree with a couple of things you said there. One of the main ones being, you don't know what you don't know. 
And I think in finance, that's huge. Like as soon as you start digging into this stuff, you're like, man, I didn't even think about that whole part of it. You know, finance is one of those things, unlike engineering, where amateurs can outperform professionals. Like, I don't know anything about engineering. You're not going to see me go in and design a solar panel. It's just not happening. But right. maybe I could go in the stock market and get lucky. And then, of course, as you say, your emotions come into play and you think you're this amazing investor, but really, maybe you just got lucky. Yeah, and I, I agree. Um, self-directed investors can come up with unbelievable performance compared to professional investors who are kind of arbitrarily constrained. I talk about this so much with self-directed investors having like a superpower that many professional fund managers wish they had, which is no arbitrary constraints, no mandate on companies they have to buy in terms of market cap, no mandate on diversification versus concentration no mandate on how many stocks they have to hold. I guess that's kind of the same as number two. No mandate on sector diversification. You know, if you want to own, you know, just the a collection of the best technology and businesses in the world that you've done exceptionally well doing that over the past while, but you could never do that professionally for the most part. No arbitrary constraints on trading. It's so more structurally more advantageous for self-directed investors not being arbitrarily constrained, that they can perform exceptionally well. The key is they have to be able to act rationally, consistently, and for a long enough time period. Anyone can make you know, a, a good return even on a one-year, two-year, call it three years. But after a really long time period, owning great businesses and holding them for a long time, like all of the investing greats household names have done, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Like the guys who have done it the best have consistently done the same strategy. Hold great businesses, don't sell them, hold them on for a really long time. It's, it's hard to pull off for a long period of time because humans are, are emotional. It's simple, but difficult to execute is what I would say. Yeah. And I think one way to kind of get your emotions in check is, although difficult, is to send out your ideas to the web. So maybe tweet out a blog or create a podcast with your DD, because you know that if you're wrong, somebody will be happily pointing that out. <laughs> happily. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's almost like a peer review in a way, because you know, yeah, sure, they're trolls, but sometimes these people are right. And it's, it's sometimes hard to hear that you might be wrong. And I know that even Stratosphere has its own community and Reddit's good for this. And there's a few discords out there. Are you active in any, any of those? What do you think about that strategy? Well, I, I, we, there is the Stratosphere community forum where people are asking their questions, they're sharing off, they're sharing their portfolio, asking for feedback, that kind of stuff. And I wish I had time to engage in all the different platforms. I am active on Twitter, if you want to follow me, at Bredo Capital. But in terms of other forums, I'd love to have some time to, to be able to engage in those other ones and also like get some good feedback on Stratosphere, like what are people actually looking for? But the, the Stratosphere community forum, I respond to every single post that's on there. So I have to keep, keep my focus there. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's awesome. Something else I wanted to talk to you about just sort of moving away from finance in general is just the challenges and successes of starting your 
your podcast. Cause as you say, you know, at the start, you know, it's only moms listening and, you yeah. know, mine's pretty much the same stage at the moment. I get like, you know, a couple listens here and there, but as you consistently put out material, then it builds and builds. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about the, you know, ups and downs of starting a podcast. Yeah. Well, starting a podcast or starting your own company, I'll start with, we'll do the podcast first. Just try it. You might, you might, you might, you might hear your own voice, hate it and never do it again. Fine. Okay. If you go more than 20%, more than 20 episodes, you're in the top percentile of podcasts ever. Most people quit, fail, or drop off before they hit their 20th episode. If you hit episode 21, you are literally in the top percentile of podcasts that exist in the world. And it seems saturated now today, but trust me, it is not compared to other channels. Just try, put yourself out there. It it might be, uh, it might go nowhere. It might not, but it's the same with anything. Like the amount of entrepreneurs I know that have killed it and crushed it with their current company have 19 failed startups, like literally uh, so many. Now, what I would say in on the startup side there is you, at some point you have to take a leap, like when I quit my job, it was not like, you're basically going into the unknown. I'm going from making six figures a year, pension, pretty easy hours, like realistically to make no money and work a lot more. Like how, how in what world is that a good trade-off, right? One, you have to be passionate about it. So when I wake up, I'm fired up to, to work on it. And two, I have a kind of a North star and on, on what I want it to be and what I think it could be. And if I keep working towards that and keep setting milestones and keep hitting that, then you just keep going. You just, you just keep going. Now, in terms of like jumping into startup land and, and the kind of the struggles and the up and downs, I saved relig- like crazy when I was working my job. Like, I was making good money, but you would not think I like my, my coworkers made fun of me of, of like how cheap I was. And I got so much satisfaction about that because that's exactly what I was trying to do. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be like, oh yeah, it's because I'm trying to quit immediately. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a compliment. If you are good with your money, you have to be able to save some money to give yourself a runway to take risks. When I see people buying flashy stuff, buying expensive watches, leasing cars they can hardly afford, that to me seems like a a sentence to no freedom in terms of what you want to be able to do. If you are financially sound, you have so much more freedom in your life to do things that you want to do, whether it be in business, whether it be travel, I would be no position to not pay myself for a year to work on the startup and grow something into what could be worth tens of millions of dollars if I wasn't frugal during those like kind of early years. And so, man, these are not the the sexy things that people talk about when you're starting your own business. But like, if you want to do it, you got, you got to put yourself in a position that you can actually do it with your life. Like no one talks about that, right? Like no one talks about, Oh, like have, how much money have you saved up before you quit your job and go work on start a startup? It's something that needs to be talked about more because it's, it's really important. 
Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I also think that once you're prepared to start and take that leap, it's important to give it a try because nobody's ever going to be ready. Like there is no perfect time to start something like that. So true. So true, man. Like I kept thinking like, Oh, I'll just do one more year. It's like, what's the difference, man? Like that's just one year taken away from like what, what, like a progress that could be made. So anyways, but back on the, back on the podcast and creating, like just putting yourself out there, it basically doesn't work until it does. And then it works all at once. And so you might be putting out, say you're a blogger, like you might be putting out content uh, in the finance space or like any space, really, you might be putting content out there and it does nothing for two years and then all at once it works. And I find that more often, more common than not. And with our podcast, it was kind of like, there's been like these kind of like jump steps up in terms of, in terms of listenership. But I think that we make good content, which also helps. Like you got to be putting in some work on there. Oh, absolutely. And I, I really like your show. I think you guys do a great job. And for anybody who's looking for more like financial insights from you and content, like they can just go ahead and listen to your podcast. You guys have a lot of great stuff. You and is it Simone, right? Simone. Simone yeah. 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 French Canadian. Yeah, I didn't want to say Simon, as I know it's probably Simone, right? So you and some you and Simone, you guys do a great job and like you go through the earnings and then you go through sort of more macro outlooks. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that content. Like for me, I'm more of a macro guy. I tend to lean towards you know sector ETFs is sort of where I go because I kind of take a long term outlook and I I sort of narrow it down to ETFs because I don't necessarily have the time to analyze individual companies as much. Um, although I would really like to do that. So one of the things, I mean, it's not every day that I talk to somebody who has worked in the engineering renewable energy area. And that is that is a big focus actually for me and my show is renewable energy and the transition nice. to renewable energy. So I wonder, maybe you could give us a little insight on solar. What do you, Where do you think that's going? Do you think that the ability for us to find solar, especially in Canada where it snows and there's no sun, Do you think that that's a viable way for us to get energy up here? With proper storage, right? Like, so with every renewable source or any energy source, not just renewable, there are a list of pros and cons. Let's go through some examples. Okay. Nuclear pro super reliable. You can get tons of energy, like here in Ontario, about just a little over half of the capacity for electricity is from is from nuclear super reliable you know you can get like ridiculous amounts of megawatts like 800 megawatt uh, reactors it's just crazy uh, just outside of toronto incredible and then what 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 are the cons super long construction time ridiculously long engineering planning the waste basically never goes away i think that's a smaller concern than people actually think it is but okay so that's an example let's look at solar okay extremely clean during operation okay good cons kind of a dirty process unreliable need good weather right okay so it's like okay those those are the the outlook there hydroelectricity okay reliable but not all year long. <laughs> so like there's basically like a freshet period where, you know, all the snow melts and the, the groundwater goes through the river system and those turbines are cooking 
And then it's a little bit drier in the summer and you're still getting reliable, clean power, but it's not as, not as much. And then uh, it affects fish aquatic life and there can be issues with uh, methane release when uh, the reservoirs flood. Like I'm, I'm just giving you some examples of there are better sources than others, but all of them have a list of pros and cons to, to engage with. With solar, the main drawback is obviously reliability. You got to have the sun shining. It's not only re reliability from it only works some part of the day, but also that there, you know, cloud coverage, shading, these kinds of things massively affect production levels. And so storage helps fix a lot of those things as an example. As an investor, I hate most of them, especially solar module manufacturers. Oh God, these are terrible businesses. Uh, like the largest, the largest panel manufacturer in the world is like 2 billion in market cap. <laughs> like it's, it's terrible. And the reason for that is pretty terrible unit economics. Like the gross margins are, are bad no pricing power. It's become extremely commoditized and it's extremely deflationary. Like solar panels are extremely deflationary, which is good for humanity and bad for investors essentially. Right. And so um, that's the way I think about solar. Now there are some interesting kind of like SaaS platforms that play in the space is more like a pick picks and shovels. Those are the ones I'd go for. I know there's some interesting inverter companies as well. Those are the ones that would be more interesting. Panel manufacturers, yeah, not so great. Hopefully that answers your question in terms of like uh, where it's going in, in the future. I mean, I'm not in the space as much anymore and I know a lot more about nuclear and hydro, but the prospect for it in the right location is incredible. I mean, up here in Canada, not so great. There's, there's better, there are better ways to go, but with every source, it's worth evaluating what are the list of those pros and cons? Where's the technology at today? And what's the best way for us to create clean electricity that is also reliable? Because if it's not reliable, you have to supplement it with natural gas plants or in the States, a lot of coal. So you're basically doing like peaking power plants to supplement the base load when you can't have renewable power. And so that just adds fossil capacity on the grid, even though you're trying to go clean, right? So it's something to consider and it's not always black and white operationally. Yeah. The, the reason I bring this up is because I think that there'll be a lot of opportunities for people to invest in these areas moving forward. There's a huge shift and there's a big transition to green energy at the moment, especially with the world's, they're sort of learning about their reliance on oil from Russia. And, yeah. you know, what's a great way to get away from oil, natural gas, renewable energy. But with, with that being said, you know, it's, it's intermittent on the grid. It provides some issues that way. You're going to need batteries for storage. What are, what are some of the things you think you might look at at a, a renewable energy company? Just curious your thoughts. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at like, if you're looking on like the utility side, I mean, Brook look no further than uh, the TSX because the best renewable energy company in the world trades on it. it's, it's Brookfield, you know, whether you want to own the mothership with Brookfield asset management, or you own Brookfield renewable energy partners. And there's like, you know, there's the, the BEPC shares, the BEP.UN shares. 
don't sweat the small stuff. It's, it's the same asset. There's just a million different share structures because uh, Brookfield likes to roll that way. The reason that I think that Brookfield is, is the best is they have scale advantages. They have advantages with their connection to capital in terms of raising capital. They have outrageous scale. They have a outrageous uh, capacity for hydro and hydro is fixed, right? There's only so many stations that can be built. There's only so many hydroelectric stations that can be built. And so that number is kind of fixed and finite. Whereas, I mean, I guess there's land requirements and stuff like that, but you can just keep building more and more wind if you want, right? Like, so from a competitive landscape, you know, hydro's absolute profit printing machine and it's, it's fixed and finite. So we, we like those assets. And so that's a pretty good idea on the utility side. Now there, there are lots of other utilities. What I will recommend investors do is not look at their fancy investor relations website telling you how green they are, how, you know, there's some clean energy player look at their actual generation capacity mix. It might be that only 10% of their capacity is renewable and they're selling it to investors this clean story because that's their focus moving forward is like this energy transition. But the reality is right now that maybe only 10% is, is on a renewable source. You know, the other 90% is a mix of coal assets and, and uh, natural gas assets. So just look into that capacity mix because that will tell you the real story. And so it's kind of like anything, look into the actual data. Yeah, I think we could run into some issues sort of, as you say, there could be some, I don't want to say scammers, but definitely some creative PR out there. Will they say, look, look how green we are. And they'll take a picture beside their solar panels, but you know, mean, meanwhile, these things were resourced and produced in China and shipped over back and forth three times. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's really difficult to sift through that, but it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. I did want to ask you just before I let you go here about your investment strategy. Now, I know you sure. have your, your six tiers just to sort of help people out, maybe give them a little bit of an idea of where your head's at. And, you know, obviously these ideas that you hold have been thought through very well. So I wonder if you could just talk to them a bit, maybe some of that time that you took to research and develop those and just sort of share that with everybody listening. Yeah, I think it'd be easy to just kind of go through uh, six characteristics we look for in every company for Stratosphere when we're doing our research. So for those who don't know, we basically cover a list of high quality companies and we have not only a scoring system for them, but we talk about their competitive advantages and what makes them great. Uh, you know, in, in a few moments, you'll go from knowing maybe very little to nothing about the business to understanding what they do, why they're great, why it's a defensible business and what the risks are, because every business has risks. If you don't know what they are, if you don't think the company has any risks, you just don't know it well enough yet. So something to consider. Now there's six characteristics that we have as like, kind of like a, a must check. And there's a long list of, of nice to haves after that. But I can go through uh, what they are. Put very simply, I'm trying to own the highest quality businesses that produce actual cash flows and consistently compound year over year and, and, and have a track record of doing so. And so when it comes to a track record, 
growing top line revenue and cash flows is is a must. Even just dude, like the amount of companies you can weed out that just don't grow sales is like a huge portion of the investable universe. If you look at long-term return composition, revenue growth cures all problems. Revenue growth or what startups call it, like what I call it, traction. Traction cures everything. Every problem you have in your business, traction cures it. Same with revenue. Number two, a recognizable moat that's durable and, and obvious. Like I could be able to explain to you it in, in just a few seconds is like super obvious, like really high moat business like Moody's Corporation or S&P Global. Like you need your bonds rated. Like from a regulatory perspective, there's only a few players in town and, and as Moody's and S&P. And so really durable business, recognizable mode, cash flows that we can project for a really long time. Easy example. Underpinned by secular growth trends is nice. There are so many examples of this, but long-term, a lot of the large winners and companies that continue to, back to my first point, consistently grow, like revenue growth cures all is by actually being in a segment of the, uh, of the world that is growing, like seems so simple and ridiculous. And that's because it is, it's so simple. And so we try to keep it as simple as possible by, by, you know, we're not trying to buy companies that are in a dying business because we think that, you know, it's some special situation. Like we think we can get it for really cheap. I don't care how cheap a stock is. I don't care about this. Like, you know, it trades at six times EV to EBITDA when it's in either a dying business or a dying industry. It, It makes it so much harder. You have to be right on so many more variables and it's not something I'm trying to do. Uh, number four, the most, dude, I could talk about this all day. I could do, I do a podcast that basically talks about this all day, which is the company has pricing power. Company has to have pricing power. And this is why I'm not interested. You know, we're on a Canadian podcast. People are always interested about oil and gas names, some commodity, gold, potash, wheat. The list goes on and on about uh, certain businesses. They could be extremely well run. Like Suncor, for instance. What What a wonderfully run business. Do I want to own it? No, they have no pricing power. That business succeeds when macro factors that I cannot predict or control are, are good for them. And so that's not something I want to do. A company that can reliably increase their prices in a boardroom meeting. Apple doesn't decide what their prices are based on macro factors. You know, maybe it goes into their cost structure, of course. But they decide what the price of the iPhone is in a board meeting. That is a structural advantage that I want to be on the part of, not dictated by the market. And then wrapping up the last two is the company has to demonstrate reliably and consistently that they are good at earning a return with cash left over that the business generates. That usually comes out in the form of high invested, uh, high returns on invested capital, that ROIC number that investors talk about quite a bit. You know, it is so important, right? Because businesses have a decision tree of capital allocation decisions. And obviously one of them being investing back in the business. 
that breaks out into a branch of many things, depending on what the company does to reinvest back into it, whether it's better infrastructure, better customer support, new product offerings. After a long period of time, that comes out in the numbers as them be as them having a good business because a good business allows for the management team to reinvest at high returns over time. And so that'll usually come out in that ROIC number that people talk about quite a bit. We want to see it high consistently and, and not so lumpy. And lastly, kind of relating to the fifth point, but management being aligned with long-term performance and execution. This usually is you know, this is an art, right? You're not going to find it in, 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 any, in any statement. You're going to find it in the way that they write on the reports and the way they talk on earnings calls. It's pretty easy to get those earnings calls. So just, just listen to them. And, you know, even if it's just one quarter, you know, the CEO might talk for 15 minutes, maybe the CFO talks for a bit, and then they answer questions from analysts at the end. And they're pretty quick. You can skip through most of it and um, you get an idea for the way they talk and how they're aligned with long-term performance. If they're talking about short-term stuff, if they're talking about their stock, not so interested, more so looking to see that they are aligned with long-term shareholders and have they been around for a while, right? Like founder-led companies that have been around for a while, those are the best, man. Like you want the person running the business to not only have significant financial stake in the game, but also even more than that. That's what founders have when they run a public company. I mean, look at, look at what Mark Zuckerberg's accomplished, what the guy's like 36, 37 years old. You want to partner with those people, right? Like I think about investing in, in a company, just like I would invest in a private company. If someone's going to invest in my company in Stratosphere, they're making a bet on me. They're like, especially in the early stages, they're making a bet on my execution to grow the business and find new customers. And like I said, find traction, it cures all problems. And so with public companies as well, you want to be aligned with the, with the, with the, uh, the people that run the company and you want to make sure that they have uh, shareholders and all other shareholders, like all the stakeholders, like employees in mind, because at the end of the day, long-term that's, that's really what matters not only for the company, but for your investment returns as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that those are great characteristics to look for in a business. Of course, I am one of those oil and gas guys. I'm into those businesses, but I do understand that that is a major, major risk is that you can't control those macro factors. And, you know, regardless of what you may try to predict it's it's nearly impossible to know so it really is something you have to look out for if you're going to be investing in those businesses and i think that's important and i can see why you've decided to just completely take that out of the equation with that being it's said, not that they're it's not that they're bad businesses not that they're poorly run it's more so like the pricing power just matters so much for me especially when like i said right this goes back to our our conversation before is you can own them. You're going to get a pay, paid really high, nice dividend yield. Sure, you can hold them for that time. You're not constrained. I'm not constrained. And we're able to both do what we want to do and then have a completely civil and normal conversation about it, right? Like that's, that's the beauty of being a self-directed investor is you're completely unconstrained. You don't have to, you could listen to this podcast and not, not give two... Two cents based uh, uh, to play a pun on your show here. 
about what I have to say. Like it's, you're completely unconstrained. So you can do your own work and come up with your own conclusions. That's what makes this awesome. Right. And then have, you know, some decent civilized conversations with people that, that that's, the, that's the greatest part, man. Absolutely. I agree. And that's the whole reason I started this show was to have a discussion. And it's like, you can learn so much from somebody who knows what they're talking about as you do and also have a different view on what I view as potentially good investments at times. It's like I said, if I was to go out and, you know, put out a, a blog in the stratosphere community about oil and gas, I would not be surprised to have some people on there to say, look, man, there's no pricing power here. Yeah. And you have to take that into consideration. I'm not going to go out and say, no, you're wrong. It doesn't matter. Russia is <laughs> never going to stop this war. Like, I'm not going to say that because who knows? You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that you touched on an important point there. I don't mean to make this all about oil and gas, but you are putting more variables into the unknown in terms of uh, how it's going to succeed. Like, there are just so many macro factors that it's not possible for you, I, or any you know, financial news pundit to, to comment on in terms of like these macro factors that affect the commodity price so much. Yeah. Again, it's not that they're bad businesses. It's just, I am, maybe it's my personality too. I am trying to bring everything into either my circle of control or at least circle of influence when I'm investing my money. And that just steps out of control or influence when I'm talking about macro factors that I have no edge predicting in. I don't really believe you can reliably predict them. You know, some, you know, we get some psychopath who decides to, to invade another country and, and things go nuts. It has worked in the short term. Like your portfolio has probably lapped mine in year to date. Like without a doubt, you've done better than me this year. No question if you're holding oil and gas stocks, especially better, better than like, you know, tech. And so again, I look at those as short-term things that I'm just not worried about. I'm not playing a short-term game, right? Like I don't care what my portfolio does in the short term. I'm worried about how it does in the long term. And that's that's at the end of the day, I think that that's what's gonna matter. Yeah. And I think that's something we both agree on is that you really gotta be able to deal with the volatility. You really gotta take a long-term outlook. And you can't let that stuff make you emotional. Like this has been a hard year for for tech this has been a great year for energy but that doesn't mean that you should be out there banging the table as they say on energy saying everybody needs to buy this now because i was right because because you didn't that's, that's usually you the time know. you get fearful at the top of the cycle exactly exactly <laughs> so yeah with that being said man this has been great like i love just kind of spitballing different financial ideas especially people that are passionate about it as i am and i just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show i really appreciate it um, if anybody wants to find your content, uh, your podcast or your platform stratosphere, uh, feel free to let them know. Oh, sure. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, this has been fun. I'm happy to do this whenever you want. My show is called The Canadian Investor. It's available everywhere. Just search it up, The Canadian Investor. And uh, as for stratosphere, it, it like I said, it's a free analytic platform for you to find 10-year financial statements in a really beautiful web application. So no more messing around with three-year statements. And, and so there's 
you can set your watch list, get curated news specifically to the companies you you look at as well. So I love it, man. I, I think it's a great platform, obviously very biased, but I think it's pretty nice. And so you can check that at stratosphereinvesting.com. If you can't spell that, I, I don't blame you. I made a URL for podcasts where you can just type that in, getstockmarket.com, getstockmarket.com. Um, you can go on there. By the way, apparently the best investment I ever made according to uh, what getstockmarket.com is worth is that URL. <laughs> I looked at it's worth like close to 10 grand now. I have no idea. How, like, I'm not going to sell it because I think it's worth a lot, but it seems, seems hilarious. Yeah, that's amazing, man. For, for 99 cents. <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Sometimes yeah. you get lucky. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, no, this has been awesome. And uh, once again, just uh, thanks for coming on and all the best with your show and your platform. Thanks you too. And, uh, hit me up anytime. I, I think, you, I think you can grow this pretty good. You have a, you have a good sense for what's going on. So I think, I think you'll do well. Thanks. I appreciate that. Okay. Take care, man. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. 